Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to another episode of Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a plumber, and I love films. I agree with Gandhi when he once said... If you can't walk a mile in someone's shoes, at least find out which films they're into. Each week I invite a special guest over to my house, I tell them they've died, and then get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Future guests include Ashling B, Stephen Cree, Scroobius Pip and loads more, but for episode 3 I have the brilliant Mr Nish Kumar. If you do not know Nish's work, he's a very funny, very silly political comedian. You can see him live pretty much anywhere or on TV, on many panel shows, or as a big part of the MASH report. And guess what? I think the sound is fixed this week. Oi, oi! Couple of brief warnings for this episode. We both swear from time to time. And this week in particular, we do touch lightly on some quite dark topics and we try to navigate our way through them. So if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, you can skip those bits. Also in terms of spoilers, if we mention a film you haven't seen, We might spoil it, so if that upsets you, skip that. But please don't skip everything, otherwise it's only going to be like three minutes. Anyway, have a listen, enjoy yourselves, and I very much hope that you like episode three of Films To Be Buried With. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer songwriter and composer John Batiste the all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. With me, it is me, Brett Goldstein. And I'm here with a very special guest. He's come all the way across town, <laughs> probably about three miles or something. I'm very flattered he came all this way. He's... Uh, He's one of my favourite comedians. He's a, a writer, a comedian, and a funny person. <laughs> and he has his own TV show called The Nish Report. And if you... I keep telling you. He's basically England's John Oliver. And if you haven't... Uh, if you want to see him live, I suggest you go to the Soho Theatre, where he's on every day, forever. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Nish Kumar. Hello. Ready? Thank you for being here, Nish. I really appreciate it. That's fine. It's great to be here. I, um, my friend's mum genuinely calls it the Nish Report. I call it the Nish Report. Yeah, but I mean, she's not even doing it as a joke. <laughs> Nor am I. <laughs> You're who I learn how to understand the news of. <laughs> that is if, a very concerning piece of information. If you haven't seen the Nish Report, it's basically a lot of funny <laughs> people raffle. do sketches, but there's like a 10-minute section at the beginning yeah. where Nish does a monologue and explains what what, what yeah. the world means at the moment. Basically, it's a comedy show where there's sort of 20 minutes of comedy and then 10 minutes of a man speaking. And Just a human Wikipedia article. But when you don't... When the Nish Report's not on, I lose my sort of moral compass. <laughs> <laughs> I just start massacring in the street. I don't know what I'm meant to do. <laughs> Sometimes I have called you up and said, what am I meant to think yeah. about this? It's, uh, I wouldn't advise getting actual facts from our shows. Ah, oh, what? <laughs> so you're on a little break, are you? I'm on a little break, yeah. yeah. I'm writing a new live show, uh, which I will be doing now and then in Edinburgh and then touring in the UK. Is it got a title? Well, how brilliantly apt. I think I've talked to you about this before, haven't I? I don't know if you have. Well, the title... Here's the first, here's the intro to the film podcast, Bradley. Great. What film is my show title a quote from? The show is called It's In Your Nature to Destroy Yourselves. The Matrix? No. Not in both decade-wise and genre-wise, not a million miles off. It's in your nature to destroy yourselves. I would say that the decade was bookended by two large-budget science fiction movies. And the Matrix is the second bookend because that was probably that was ninety nine. Yeah, in memory. And this one, I think, is ninety one. Uh, Terminator Two Judgment Day. Terminator Two Judgment Day. Thank you. It's in. It's there's a bit in it where who the, says that the Terminator. So there's a bit in it where John Connor is. Um, they're in Mexico with Sarah Connor's friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, when they find the big old when they find the big old gun. Door. But there's so there's two kids there who are playing with toy guns and yes. shooting each other. And John Connor says to the Terminator, we're not going to make it, are we? And the Terminator says, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. God, it's bleak, isn't it? It's really bleak. You know what I like? I like uh, Terminator 3. Which, what? No, it's a bad film, yeah. except for I really like the last minute of it. 
I like the bleak... The actual war. ...ending yeah. that comes. I, cause the, I hate all the Terminator sequels after... I, I, I love Terminator 1 and 2 when I was growing up. Yes. And I've seen them both within the last couple of years, and they are both fantastic movies. Yeah. But they have... The, it, the problem is that Terminator 2 is an organic sequel... Yeah. That grows out of the fact that you never see the Terminator's body be destroyed. So it makes complete sense that a bunch of people get the Terminator body and the second movie evolves out of that. Yeah. But the problem is that, uh, spoiler alert warning for any listeners who have not seen Terminator 2, they destroy everything at the end of Terminator 2. It's why, the mm. same reason that yes. all the Jurassic Park sequels are dreadful, because the first five minutes is them going... Oh, you know, we said there wasn't another island. Yeah. Well, you'll never guess what. <laughs> it's, it's quite a big thing that they've hidden an entire other so island. So many islands. You just feel like there's a lot of logistics. Yeah, that there's they've... so many other islands. I, I just feel like one of their accountants, like the tax attorney, <laughs> someone's going, hang on, what's this $12 billion receipt I've just seen? An invoice for? Yeah, exactly. Isla Nubla? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very good title. Yeah, I mean, so it sounds a depressing show. Is I it? think it is at the moment. It's quite a depressing show because right. it's all about the sort of political situation. And I just thought, do you feel it's hopeless? I don't think it's hopeless, but I'm trying still. As as I say, I'm still working on the show, and one <laughs> of the things that I'm working on is trying to drag some hope, some hope out into the audience. I feel sort of vaguely hopeful, only in that it sort of surely has reached a sort of bottom. It's hit rock well, yeah. isn't it? So we have to... I worry that we might have a little bit more bottom. The only reason I feel hopeful is, you know, twice in the past 100, 120 years, the world has kind of dragged itself to the precipice of Armageddon. Yeah. And we sort of managed to drag ourselves back. I mean, the downside is you only have to miss once with the, yeah. <laughs> with the drag back. It's a really... It's a zero-sum game to play. But, you know, there's reason, there are reasons to be... Uh, Reasons to be hopeful, but I, yeah. So I, I thought you would appreciate. I thought you would appreciate the Terminator reference. It's a really good reference. Yeah, it, it almost makes you want to see it. Uh, <laughs> do, what is? What is? You're a film guy, right? You love films. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, you and I are friends, sure, and we speak socially regularly. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you and I, ninety percent of our conversation is about films. Yeah. I don't even know if you have a relationship. <laughs> I do. I kid. But yeah, most of our chat is about is about film. Yeah, especially because you see sometimes when you go to the states, you see films early as well, and I always yeah. want to know what's what's happened and what's going on. And what I like about you and and is that you have a, a very healthy uh, breadth of oh films sure that you will see and enjoy. Yeah. yeah. You're like a uh, you're like a Marvel film, but you'll also go see a silent French film. Yeah, exactly. That's I like twelve to hours w- long. I like to watch a <laughs> yeah. I'll watch a Russian King Lear, sure, sure. But I'll also I was also you know at Black Panther on day one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Morning screening, I believe. Wasn't yeah, it? morning screening yeah. and morning screening of Infinity War as well. Lovely. Stuff. I've got. I've seen. Yeah, I'm very keen on those kind of things. You love it. Oh, would you mind telling the listeners you once told me something I found moving? I, and I hope you put it in one of your shows. Maybe you have, and if yeah. not, w- what's the character you most relate to in all the Marvel films? Oh, character. Now, this might come up. But anyway, go on. <laughs> the character I most relate to in all Marvel films is Ned, Spider Man's friend. 
in Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. I just, I absolutely loved, I really loved Homecoming. It's the, I think it's one of my favourite Marvel movies. Mm. And I really, the, one of the things that I liked about it is that I, I don't, I missed a lot of the, like, teen high school movies. We've also talked about this before, but I only two months ago saw The Breakfast Club for the first time. Like, nice. I missed a lot of those John Hughes, it's Fer- Ferris Bueller, I've just, yeah, Kind of. I mean, there's some of the stuff that's... I mean, that Molly Ringwald piece in The New Yorker was really fascinating. Because The Breakfast Club, I I feel it's such a strange experience to watch a film that you've assimilated so much of through pop culture referencing. And when he shoves his head between her legs, my Mm. first thought was, please don't tell me that's the don't you forget about me guy. Please don't tell me that's not the guy who pumps his fists in the air at the end (laughs) and we're all supposed to feel... Yeah. Like, really, you know, please let it be the nerd that does that. Mm. That that bit when he shoves his head between the legs is is so weird. Yeah. It, it's a really odd thing to sort of rewatch. Breakfast Club is a film, I will ask you later, but on my list is the film that I loved as a as a child and now I watched recently and was like, this is awful. Yeah. Like, as in, I hated all of them. When I rewatched it, I was like, I hope... This, I, I don't want anything to get out of detention. They're I, I, awful, whiny, little fucking spoiled pieces of shit. I hate them. It's very dated. Yeah. And, I, and I didn't... I, I quite liked Ferris Bueller, but I really want to re-watch it because somebody said the best way to enjoy Ferris Bueller... Maybe this was you that said this, but the best way to enjoy Ferris Bueller is to go back and re-watch it and imagine that Ferris Bueller is the imaginary friend of his friend. <laughs> and then it becomes this amazing movie. Like It's like a sort of Fight Club-style wish fulfillment. Because <laughs> yeah. his friend yeah. is the interesting character in the movie. Yeah. The movie, that it's his mate whose film it is, really. Yeah, because I suppose Ferris doesn't go on any kind of journey. He doesn't learn anything. No j- <laughs> yeah. He goes on no journey. He's like Sergeant Bilko. Yeah, just... exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like a, he is like a sitcom character. You know, he just exists in stasis. Yeah, but that's, that's not true. particularly rewarding. Whereas the the friend is on a real. I mean, he's on a real journey. Yeah, what's he called? The friend? I can't remember his name. I. Uh, he, he's the guy from Spin City. Yeah, love that guy from Spin City. Yeah. So it's clearly like films, and that's great. Uh, so the sad news is you've died. The sad news. Is. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It was a shock to us all. <laughs> How did you die? Um, I mean, I, the sad thing is. I'm all, I will almost certainly die not paying attention as I cross the road Looking because I'm listening to a podcast about politics. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll be, it will almost certainly be me. The amount of time I spend walking around in London not paying attention to my immediate surroundings because I'm lost, engrossed in a podcast. What are you listening to? You listen well, it would be some, either some political podcast. Basically, what I'm saying is either the news or Mark Maron is going to kill me. Right. <laughs> One of those two forces in my life. Do you life. want to pick the thing, the specific event that you're, you're listening to a discussion about as you're killed by a car? Oh, it'd probably be Brexit. Right. Probably God, that's something awful. tedious like Brexit. You listen yeah. to everything about Brexit and you get hit by a car. Yeah, my Just... last words will probably be, why did you think we'd be able to remain a part of the customs union? <laughs> Terrible. I'm assuming it's a hit and run. Yeah, probably, yeah. If I hit someone and they were saying that, I'm not sticking around for the rest of this. <laughs> okay, so you're killed in a hit and run. Sure. Tragic. Ever? Well, you never find out if the person's caught. No. A nation mourns. Now... Yeah. It's very sad you've died. A nation mourns. My girlfriend and I have to do some 
uh, you know, I go, I go back, I find Whoopi Goldberg, we track down my girlfriend, we what remember the erotic pottery we did that time. <laughs> Your girlfriend gets to have sex with Whoopi Goldberg. Gets to have sex with Whoopi Goldberg, yeah. You go, I don't know if this was the deal, Whoopi. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Whoopi, you sly fox. Boiled again. You've done it again. <laughs> Stop fucking everyone, I'm pretending to be a medium. <laughs> So you died, uh, but the upside is being someone who likes films is on the other side. Yeah, yeah. They're big into films. They're big, they, big fans. They just want to know about your life through yeah. film, actually. So what's the first film you remember seeing? I think it was The Jungle Book. Oh, I got a that. Yeah, as we walked in, I thought, I thought maybe I'll bring this up. And then I thought, save it. Brad, Brad, uh, Brett does have a lovely Jungle Book poster. I nearly mm. called you Brad, which is... Our social nickname for you. But it's very confusing because it's not really a nickname. It's just another person's name. And the only reason I felt the need to clarify it is for a second, it felt like I forgot your name. (laughs) (laughs) I just forgot that I'm supposed to call you Brett. Yeah, I immediately looked at it and thought, well, I'll save this for the conversation with Brett. The Jungle Book is the first film I really remember. I, I, I have a memory of seeing it in the cinema but my parents have sort of, I asked them about it and they were, they sort of like, oh, I don't think we went to the cinema. So it may be that I fabricated that memory. It's certainly the first movie I remember seeing and loving. Do you remember being with you, were you with your family? With Yeah, I, in my memory, I went with my parents to see it. But it may, also, I can't tell whether that's something that I've completely fabricated. But what I do know is I had the video from a, from a very early yeah. age. Was that in Croydon? In Croydon, yeah. Do you remember the cinema? Or you've made that up anyway. I can't. I think it was the Odeon that you, that now no longer exists. Right. That's now flat. Yeah, there was a crowded Odeon that I saw that I used to go to quite often with my parents um, and see those kind of. It was a good period of Disney movies, mm-hmm. the early nineties, early to mid nineties. Yeah, Lion King, Little Aladdin, Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Lots of really, really good stuff. Down. Yeah, yeah, lots of really good. Love the Hunchback that stuff. Lots of re- weirdly, lots of. A Beauty and the Beast. Lots of Beauty really good movies that are now slightly pointlessly being remade yeah. as live action films. But The Jungle Book is was great. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. I think I have said this on one of the podcasts. So if, you, if you're a regular listener, I apologise for repeating. But I think one of the greatest comedy sequences of all time ever, genuinely no irony, is... The scene in the Jungle Book where Baloo and Bagheera are trying to get Mowgli back from King Louie. Yeah. King Louie's singing, I want to be like you. Yeah. And they're sneaking around and keep messing each other up. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Well, and also there's a really, the bit that I really remember vividly is when Baloo is still dancing yeah. as his disguise has fallen yeah. off. There's a really great moment. And Baloo slowly realises that he's all his disguise has fallen off. Um, And then also, you know, like the Beatles vultures, which I thought was a real shame that they took. Because I went to, I saw, I didn't see the live action Beauty of the Beast. I saw the live action Jungle Book out of pure curiosity. And they took out the Beatles vultures. Yeah, Um, I'm not a fan of that. But it's, the songs are all great. Yeah. It's very cool, the Jungle Book. It's very it's cool. It's great. But also, one of the saddest... I, I really uh, get very upset by the ending of Disney Jungle Book. Yeah. Baloo sort of at the end is like, bros before hoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Mowgli goes, nah. <laughs> and goes off with a girl. He's yeah, goes off with a girl. To. Yeah. 
through that it is it is really yeah it is a very it is a very sad ending actually but that you know Baloo and Bagheera they're the sort of original yeah they'll be okay they're the sort of original classic double act yeah it's a perfect comedy dynamic between the two of them yeah they'll be okay it's just really upsets me because <laughs> also I think what happens if Mowgli goes off let's say he gets together with that girl yeah yeah you know she seems nice but then what if they break up? What if it's short-lived? It's his first love. Yeah, then he's got to go short-lived back. Short-lived Can he go back to the jungle? Is he going to find Balloon Bagheera and they're going to be like, oh, where have you been? Well, well, well. Yeah. Look who's wearing clothes now. Yeah. Look who's come crawling back. <laughs> Broke your heart, did she? <laughs> Maybe you got a song about it. I really feel like you've projected some of your own anxieties into the jungle book. Now. I just wish I'd never left the jungle. <laughs> Quick side note. Do you believe there's an afterlife? It's a quick casual side note. I don't know. I think I'd like to. Mm-hmm. I think I probably, I think on some level, even though I have, you know, this kind of rational, you know, belief in rational ideas and science and all that stuff. I think I watched Coco recently and I think I probably yes. do believe in the afterlife. Yeah, Coco <laughs> really. The, the amount that I cried at that movie, I probably do believe in the afterlife. Coco's fucking great, isn't it? Coco it did great. make me feel better about death. Yeah, it was great. I thought, as long as we've got a couple of pictures hanging around, we're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure there's lots of Just make sure there's evidence. lots of... And hard Hide copies some. as well. It doesn't yeah. seem like... At no point in Coco is he, like, on an iPad. Like, it's very much got to be... Print out your photos. What worried me watching Coco was like... Was like what, what happened before photo, photos? Yeah. Or was it drawings? Would it have to be drawings of people? Or it's just having a memory of them, isn't it? It's just having a memory of them, As long as someone remembers. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you're fine on the iPad. Which also sort of means that people like Genghis Khan or whatever, like really bad people, like legendarily bad. Yeah. They're still kind of They're still around. around, yeah. We remember. Absolutely. I just thought it was... So be really good or really bad and you'll be... You live forever in a way. Yeah. That means Hitler... Still knocking about. And are still knocking about together. I mean, yeah. that... If we're talking about... Double acts. Marvel matchups. <laughs> the ultimate Avengers crossover. <laughs> Hitler and Gandhi, I'd watch that film. Yeah. When Hitler met Gandhi, that's a romantic <laughs> comedy. I, my concern they is was that, My concern is that it could be... It's probably no less plausible than Darkest Hour. <laughs> it's, 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 it's similarly based on historical evidence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, The Jungle Book... I, I love that sort of era of Disney. The experience of watching it for your memory, I don't know how good your memory of it is, but do you remember like feeling like this is a lovely thing you did with your family? Was it something where you thought, oh, wow, the world is... I just, like- I think as a kid, I had no sense of... Um, I didn't really have a hugely strong grip on reality. Right. So I think for me, it was like, I just loved... You thought it was I, a documentary? Yeah, I just thought it was... I just, I didn't really understand the difference between real life and so for me I just loved getting and also I developed a habit as a kid of re-watching films like yeah. watching and so the other one that I used to re-watch was, the, was Pinocchio oh. and I used to my grandmother was telling me this two months ago which I used to stay with her in Leicester and there used to be a video shop on the corner and she we used to go every day every other day and every other day I would get Pinocchio and she was like, there's other, many other yeah. cartoons you could watch here. And I was just obsessed with Pinocchio. And I watched Pinocchio in the Jungle Book just over and over and over again. Pinocchio's very dark. Pinocchio is very dark. Very dark film. Like, it's a very dark, dark. movie. And it, 
both the Jungle Book and P- Pinocchio, when you actually rewatch them, they have quite a sort of grim aesthetics. You know, yeah. they're not these kind of brightly coloured, sort of lurid, mm. you know, what you assume a kid's movie looks like. They, they're both quite sort of grimy. E- even the, the beginning of Beauty and the Beast is yeah. like the first time you really see the beast. It's kind of played as like a horror moment. Yeah. And yeah, they have, they, they all have this kind of slightly grimy aesthetic. Which I think means that they age very well. Look, I remember my parents loved The Jungle Book and Pinocchio. Not enough to watch it 600 times, which I think was deeply annoying. But I really remember my parents really enjoying those movies. My mum and dad, supposedly, with their friends Terry and Fliss and Steve, I think, when they were, like, teenagers. Yeah. When you apparently used to go to the cinema and there was no times, so you just went and films would just run and run. Yeah. And, loop, and you just sit there. They sat all day for months watching Jungle Book and they can quote the whole thing. They used really? To, they used to, I'd love to say they got stoned and did this. He said, I don't think they did get stoned. <laughs> they were completely sober. And they just go and watch Jungle Book all day and do all the voices. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Can we briefly talk about The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame? You know I've never seen it. Right. It's in that list of the new ones, Little yeah. Mermaids, Lion King. Yeah. I think it's one of the least seen ones and it's their bravest and I think Possibly best, or certainly top three. Right, okay. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. And there is a sequel. It's so good and so well shot, and it's so dark. Yeah. And the message at the end, which I won't spoil for you, is like, wow. And they're absolutely right. I completely agree with the message, but you go, you're not, you're not sugarcoating this one, Disney. <laughs> and there's a sequence in it. You could watch all of it. It's got like fun stuff, and it. it's got these fun like yeah. gargoyles that talk and are played by George from Seinfeld. Oh, really? Yeah, and so you have, like, comedy sort of sidekicks. Right, yeah. But there is a sequence in it, which you should... Even if you don't watch the whole film, you should just watch this sequence on YouTube, called Hellfire, where the uh, the Judge Claude Frodo character, who is sexually obsessed with Demi Moore, oh my Gypsy, God. has this song where he's by the fireplace sort of torturing himself because he's so desperate to have sex with Demi Moore, oh my God. that he thinks he's, that he thinks she's the devil, and if he doesn't have sex, he thinks he's going to go to hell. But equally, she's destroying him and burning oh him. Oh my his God! Soul. And I watch this sequence every time, and I think I don't know what you say to a kid this is about because it doesn't even have like often they'll do like metaphors. It's like yeah. you can read this two ways, but I'm like that sequence is like this is a four minute section about hell and sexual obsession oh my in God. a Disney film, and it's amazing. Watch it. Oh my god! With comedy gargoyles, it's such a good film. And Kevin Klein, your favourite? I love Kevin Klein. Yeah, <laughs> but I also, on the same note, I never understood. I don't understand how you explain mm. the incinerator scene in Toy Story Three to children. Well, I think it's okay. I, this is why I find it interesting because the toy, the incinerator scene, is a way of talking to kids about death. I think it's the darkest scene in any one of the darkest scenes in any film I've ever seen. Because you very rarely see a film where characters... I, I know that in the end, it's resolved. Yeah. Happily. But it's one of the darkest... There is a moment where Woody is still scrambling. Mm. And then Buzz, like, looks at him and is like... Like, stops his hand. Yeah. And they just hold hands. And it's like, a ta- they accept death as a group. Yeah. That, it's one of the darkest scenes in any film. But But... That's interesting. You say, I don't think it's dark. I think it's beautiful. I think. It's, oh, really? Yeah, because it's saying, in a way, it's like 
they're the dark they're together. before. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. The acceptance of death is not the dark bit. That's the beautiful bit. Yeah, and also they they sort way. of die with the the idea is that they're accepting dying because they they they've all gone together and they've all done their best. Yeah, and they've all done their best. Yeah. So I think you can say to a kid, "This is death, kid." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as long as you have done your best and and you're with people, you yeah, know, you can accept it. Harder to say. This is about a man who yeah, desperately wants to fuck someone yeah, yeah, yeah. and thinks he's going to hell. Yeah. Anyway, night night. <laughs> well, I'm now definitely going to watch our track of after that because it turns out I do. It's not the movie I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fantastic and sort of animation wise, the it way they've right. done Notre Dame. I went, I went to Paris just to have a look. So <laughs> have a feel so much. Spot on, <laughs> nailed it. And there's even a cheeky bit where they do a lens flare. Really? There's no lens flares in animation. Oh my god. Anyway. Recommend it highly. Oh, okay. What is the film that scared you most other than Toy Story 3? Uh, when I was a kid, I was thinking about movies that... The thing is, I, I, I'm, I'm watching more horror films now than I did when I was younger. Why is that? I think because when I was a kid, I was genuinely terrified of them. Mm-hmm. I saw The Silence of the Lambs when I was way too young to watch <laughs> The Silence of the Lambs. You know, I vividly remember the bit where they turned the body over in the lab and the skin is just gone like I really remember that and I, I watched Science of the Lambs again recently and I was like oh, I was too young <laughs> I was definitely too young to have seen this movie because like my parents would be really strict on 15s and 18s unless it was sort of like the Terminator and I think they thought the Silence of the Lambs was a sort of action film and right. they were like, no, I'd probably be fine. Because like, I saw The Terminator when I was about six, and it didn't... Whereas something like... Whereas Pulp Fiction, my dad would not let me watch until I was much yeah. older. And, you know, some of the Scorsese movies. I don't know, there's a couple of movies that I watch quite regularly that really do frighten me. One is Zodiac, which right. always frightens me. But if I'm being completely honest and answering the question honestly, the film it. that most terrifies me on an existential level, is Inside Lowen Davis. Oh, my God, that is such a good answer. That is <laughs> on, such a good a, answer. On a fundamental, existential level, yes. the film that I find most frightening is Inside Lowen Davis. Because it's all of our fears. Because it's all of our... It's the. It's like... It's, it's the artist's if you, if you take Yeah, if you take away all the things that we're all afraid of, death, meaninglessness... Suffering, incineration, incineration. Yeah, it, the, the the like the movie that I've genuinely walked out of and been like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess. And my my dad went to see Inside Llewyn Davis, and he said that was one of the worst experiences of his life oh, wow, because he, he saw you. Yeah, he said yeah. he was like, I just watched your life oh, for like, and he and also because. I, you know, certainly when my hair is longer and my beard is a bit, I do bear a passing resemblance to. I'm obsessed with the idea that Oscar Isaac resembles me and is the exact percentage more attractive than me. That, so he should play me in real life. <laughs> he should play me in a film because you know when you see a real person yeah. and then you see the actor that portrays them in the film and you go, okay, there's a formula here for how much more attractive. <laughs> What do you think the percentage is? I don't know. I think it's like 30%. 30. I think there's a 30%. There's just a ratio that you can sort of... You think your Oscar Isaac's minus 30%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seven-tenths an Isaac. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah that, that movie absolutely terrified me, just on an existential level, because it is... Also, I'd gone in 
And it really wrong-footed me because I basically thought that it was going to be another Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Right. Also, I'm a massive Bob Dylan fan. Right. And so I, when they said the Coen brothers have made a, a film based on Dave Van Ronk, I was like, I know exactly who Dave Van Ronk is. I know exactly this story. This is great. And at the end of the movie, there is, you know, Dylan does a, appear in a certain form. And so I basically was going in thinking, great. This will be another Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Toast happen. Everybody's having a great time. And I just didn't realise that it was going to be this really quite dark movie. And the, yeah. the, the genius of the film is that at no point does the film ever tell you whether he is good or bad. Yeah, it's so good. But yeah, and he's, and he's good. And he's, he's really good. Yeah. He's a really talented musician, but it just doesn't work for him. Yeah. And also, he... A friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine really don't like the film because they say he is so unlikable. I don't see that. Yeah, and that, and I, I thought I don't really see that. And you go, oh, I think that's yeah. So it's like a nightmare on every level because you're you're going to people. I like, really related to that film. They go, I fucking hate that. Guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, not, I mean, I don't not me, to not as a person. Yeah. It's just because, and also all of the stories you're used to seeing because we when we see films like I'm thinking of things like Ray and mm. uh, walk the line, what you're used to seeing is this person who nobody gives a chance to stand there in front of some talent agent and yeah. the person goes, oh my God, this is the next thing. And what you're not used to seeing is the moment where he performs that song. The, uh, the Death um, of Queen Jane. Yeah, Queen Jane. This, and then the moment after that where the guy just goes, yeah, it's, there's no money in it. You know, he's like, maybe it. you could be, maybe you could be like, in a group or something. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's sort of, it's hard to describe for someone. Oh, God. What, and like... he goes on like a real journey to get a card. It's all Yeah. Right. And it's like, and it's, I, I think it's a great movie. It's one of my favourite films. I would go as far as saying it's probably my favourite Coen Brothers movie. I, it's certainly up there. And it's, it's an extraordinary movie. I've, 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 I've watched, watched it, it twice in a row when I watched it. I sort of immediately watched it again. Yeah, yeah. Which is rare. I think it's really brilliant. It's a, it's a great movie. Right, the soundtrack's great. It came out in a really great year for movies. There were a lot of really good films. That, like, it was a particularly good year for American films because I remember um, it was 12 Years a Slave was mm-hmm. in that same bracket, the Oscar year. Right. I think 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle, which we will absolutely return to okay. later on. And there's a, yeah, there's a couple of movies that came out in a really good period. And I remember thinking, oh, I think this might be my favourite of them. Yeah. And of course, it didn't go anywhere. It sort of made, I think it made its money back. But it didn't, it, you know, it didn't cross over into like being, not, because it, it's... That's such a good answer. Have you seen Synecdoche, New York? It's one of my favourites. No. I've, so I, I bought Synecdoche, New York, and it's okay. on this like pile of... Blu-rays in my house. What's interesting what? about it is it's never called a horror. Yeah. But it was written, I believe that the genesis of it is, uh, what's his name, Charlie Kaufman was asked to write a horror film. Yeah. And what he wrote was Synecdoche, New York. Um, and the reason is because he was thinking about it and he was like, what am I scared of? And what yeah, he is yeah. scared of is getting ill, of getting old, is yeah. dying of mortality, of germs. Of yeah, So yeah. it's a whole film about sort of germs and yeah, illness and, how, and yeah and the horror and i'm gonna be old like i'm life. gonna die i'm gonna be old i'm gonna die yeah, yeah. you must watch that I, I, yeah i've just i've got a big pile of things that i haven't seen and a couple of things that i want to i want to rewatch again and um 
one of the ones I've got is Get Out, which in terms of like just a single moment in a film, again, spoiler alert, the it's one of the best experiences I've ever had in a cinema. The moment right at the end when the police car. Yeah. And I was in, I watched it in a, you know, cinema in London. The audience was, was pretty diverse. I would say it was about, you know, it was like, it was pretty much half and half Mm. white to non-white. And like, especially there were, you know, it was quite, it's, it was in Shepherd's Bush. So it's like, it's, you know, there's lots of black people that live in that area. Yeah. And so it did, the audience was, there were a lot of black people in that cinema. And what was incredible was obviously there were loads of jokes that the black audience was really going for. Yeah. And what was incredible was when the police van flashed, the whole cinema gasped. And that to me is like, that's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's everything. That's the most extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful. Yeah thing that you could possibly do in that situation he really did it yeah is that you've got you've made white people as afraid of the police as black people <laughs> yeah because you've pulled every like if you i, I heard bradley whitford talk about this on mark maron's podcast He was like if you gasp at that you've accepted on some level the reality of police brutality in america yeah. and institutionalized racism and he like it's it's one of the it's one of those moments that you're like this is it this is what you can do with them this is as much as you can possibly achieve with cinema as a yeah. medium of expression and what's so incredible about get out is it's like uh, if you wrote down the themes of get out yeah and said oh there's this film and it's about this stuff you go oh that sounds so dreary it sounds like such a fucking oscar winning like sounds no, so brilliant. boring it's, and, so, it's brilliant. so fun it's such a brilliant funny fun scary yeah. ride and it's got all this shit in it yeah you go, oh yeah films don't have to be really fucking heavy and depressing to get all that to shit get out. yeah you can get yeah horror is particularly good at uh, digesting big issues yeah getting the yeah. stuff out yeah get the stuff out get it all Break out horror. get the stuff <laughs> great answer thank you nish yeah by the way you're doing very well i felt yeah i felt like i was thinking about it and i thought I should probably say The Exorcist or something, but I mean, yeah. I, it's an expression of my narcissism that, like, that Inside Lewin Davis is still, I still think about it so much. It's also kind of curious about it is that it's a film about an artist who never makes it, basically. Yeah. Who's, who's quite good. He's good. Yeah. And you think, the Coen brothers have made it. <laughs> very, very yeah. successful. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, why did they make that film? Is but it then just lorded it over us? But I think that's also slightly why I, I really love it, because there aren't many... The story about artists that we're constantly told is they struggle for a while and then they make it and you go, mm-hmm. but what if you don't? Mm-hmm. You know, what about the people that don't make it? And it's, if you have at any point skirted with not making it, it's very difficult to not see that movie and go. And also you realise that it is, you know, sometimes it is just, you know, it's on a knife edge. Like, I know that lots of people who are around in that Greenwich Village scene, we're kind of like, well, this isn't really a fair depiction. And in a way, it's kind of unfair to take a real story and then basically sort of twist it and turn it into something else. But it, it's, I don't think they, were try, they weren't trying to make an authentic movie about Greenwich Village in the early 60s. What they were trying to do was tell the story of this guy who doesn't make it. Yeah. But it's a great movie and the songs are great as well. What is the film that made you cry the most? That's pretty, I mean... It's quite a lot of stuff. <laughs> quite, quite a lot of stuff. Top three? 
Well, Toy Story 3 is definitely in there, the incinerator. Yeah, Jesus, yeah. But also Toy Story no, 3. The end, I, mean, I was crying at the beginning yeah. when you see Andy aging because I was probably about 11 or 12 when the first movie came out. Mm. And then by the time the third movie came out, I was like 24, 25. And that I found horrendously moving. The bit in 12 Years a Slave when he starts singing Roll, Jordan, Roll. Just talked about that in the last podcast. One of my favourite scenes. Unreal. Yeah. Absolutely unreal. Like he... And he... I, I get chills when I... Because I have that the soundtrack and I have that song. And you yeah. can hear when he comes in. You can hear the yeah. moment where he comes in. Because, again, it's another somebody digesting something and making it so powerful. Mm. Because you've got him... The reason it's so moving is, A, I mean, they're at a funeral and they're singing for this person who's died. But he it's the first time he accepts that he's a slave. Yeah. And it's such a... It's a brutally forceful moment. Yeah. And so it could be any one of these on any given day. The Florida Project as a recent one, which is a film that you and I have are both evangelists for. Top ten films of all time. Uh, absolutely incredible. That the scene at the, the very end is like it was mm. I mean, it was just brutal. But I think in terms of and so again it could be any one of those and today it happens to be uh the uh, arrival. Okay. It just, I think it just, like, that's when I, instinctively today when I thought about it, I thought about The End of Arrival. Great film. And I thought about the, the whole movie is incredible. Mm. It's doing a lot of really cool stuff and it's doing it in a really interesting and sophisticated way. And the last four or five minutes are, like, extraordinarily powerful. Mm. And it's one of the best central performances in any film I've ever seen. By a squirty octopus alien. By a squirt, yeah. By a squirty octopus alien. It's really and powerful. one of the most powerful supporting roles I've ever seen. <laughs> Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Yeah. And in, in that... She, like, the whole movie, she's doing so much stuff. The se- There's a sequence where she's essentially having to act with herself in a previous timeline. Yeah. And she's interacting with herself. And it's a, it's a victory of performance and editing because the way that it's constructed is so brilliant but it's her performance in that sequence is extraordinary but then just right at the end the ending is such uh maybe it's just like it's the punchline it's the whole movie builds up to this and it just absolutely knocks me for six and then the problem is the lights (laughs) there's no like recovery period there's no recovery period with it I went to see Saving Mr. Banks on my own, sat yeah. at the back, and cried so much that I had to put a jumper, like, wrap it around my head, <laughs> like a bandage, yeah. and people were, like, I couldn't get up, because I thought, I'm, I'm a wreck, Yeah. and then the people came in to clean the cinema, yeah. and I had to, like, I sort of walked out like the mummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was a fucking mess. That was the... the, the... When I saw 12 Years a Slave, the whole cinema was, in, was ruined. Mm. Like, everybody. I've never experienced anything like it. When the lights came up, everybody was in tears. Yeah. But when I saw the Florida Project... Just you. <laughs> it's so weird. There were probably, like, 30 people in... It was in one of the small screens in... Uh, the, the No, it was in Curzon in um, in Russell Square. Right. And so it was a smaller screen, but it was pretty much full. But so, Which means there's only, like, 40, 50 people in there. And people were sort of, people just got up and walked off. What? And, like, a couple of people are like, Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. What? And you're like, what did you just watch? How does it's it the same thing with Ladybird. I watched Ladybird. Uh, I went to watch Ladybird on my own, 
and I cried pretty much throughout. <laughs> but um, people got up at the end and were like, that was good. Yeah. Madness. Absolutely. Yeah, I find madness. that fascinating how people can be affected and not when you think, how did you not? Yeah, I, I find that, I, I, I find particularly with the end of Arrival, I went to see it with two friends and one of them, two of us were weeping mm. and the other one was like, what? That was good. <laughs> I mean, he like, wasn't like negative about it. He was like, oh, that was good. And you're like, what a psychopath. You, what did you just, what, the last five minutes of that movie, really? Amy Adams can do anything. She genuinely can do anything. She's amazing in The Muppets. She's amazing in The Muppets. Mm-hmm. She's amazing in Enchanted. Enchanted. She's absolutely incredible in Arrival. Yeah. She's great in American Hustle, which yeah. will come, which absolutely will come up. It's a Love double. It it's a double Adams episode. Lovely. I just, I, I think she's unbelievable. Yeah. I think she's like my favorite actor ever. She's your Denzel Washington. She's your, oh yeah, of course you love Denzel. Yeah, yeah. She might be my Denzel. I guess she hasn't played. I'm not sure she's been in a movie where she's never played in uh, an Equalizer. Yeah, she's never played an Equalizer. But she, I definitely think she could. I definitely, she's got it. She's, she's got the range. She's got. I just she think could play a main do, killing machine. If you can do Arrival, Enchanted, and the Muppets, and the Muppets, then you can pretty much do anything. You can equalize anyone. Yeah, yeah. What is the film that you loved years ago? And you've watched it recently and gone, oh God, that's terrible. For like how The Breakfast Club is for me. Well, welcome Bradley to the spiciest element of our conversation. Annie Hall. Oh my yeah. days. Someone dropped a controversial... Not just, not just Annie Hall, but Annie Hall, Manhattan. <laughs> all, all of it. It's a... Uh, Political satirist, this yeah. has arrived. <laughs> yeah, it's all of it. You know, it's... Um, now, I don't know. are you saying this because of the yeah. what, the baggage that these films now yeah, bring? Yeah, and the thing is, I, I, I basically, like, hero-worshipped Woody Allen. Mm. And I think the thing is, I know it's easy, like, in retrospect to be like, I didn't know, but we all kind of knew. But yeah. I hadn't, I'd never read the details of the case. So in my mind... He was like weird and gross because he married his stepdaughter. And like that's yeah. kind of weird. But you're like, no, nothing illegal has happened. And it's for me. I've after the after reading the Dylan Farrow letter, mm. everything is kind of I can't I can't uncork that idea anymore. Mm. Which is you know, and the thing is, if I'd really bothered to do the reading at the time, you know, there you would read yeah. that there there were. You know, there's this thing that he was in counselling because of, you know, he like he felt that he had inappropriate feelings or something like that. There was some stuff going on, but just since then, it's I can't undo what you know the kind of I can't reframe those movies. And Manhattan is it's super tricky. Yeah, Manhattan you know, is Manhattan, super tricky because Manhattan is kind of wearing it. I mean, I think you can still watch Manhattan. And enjoy it, but only on the basis that you're watching a group of truly terrible people. Mm. And what you're watching it is a kind of satire of people who have no idea, have no sense of the real world and no sense of reality. Do you think that, I don't, I don't have an answer or, and I'm not trying to be contentious, but yeah. do you now think, particularly with all the times up and the everything, do you think you can't enjoy or appreciate a work of art made by someone who you know has done 
wrong? I don't know. I think there's a spe- there are specific issues with his films, and especially Annie Hall. Why Annie Hall in particular? Because I haven't seen it in quite a few years, but I seem to remember she's age appropriate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but the, yeah, she yeah, completely. But the whole thing is predicated on the idea that he is an endearing man and an right. endearing and Alvy Singer mm. is a person that you root for. It's almost easy to watch Manhattan because you go, this guy's a pervert. Like this guy's disgusting. Right. You know, he's picking up this girl after school. Like this is creepy. Like this is super creepy. But with Annie Hall, it's more difficult to rewatch it now because he's like, he's a lovable character. Alvy Singer is like a lovable guy. And I'm finding it, I I can't really, and also because he created this persona, you know, the character of Woody Allen Mm. and invited you to invest in it so heavily. It's then difficult to kind of disconnect that from, you know, you know, you can, with Kevin Spacey, you kind of go, I mean, Seven. He's playing on the upside. And... Kevin Spacey was always playing psychopaths. Well, yeah, Kevin Spacey <laughs> so was always playing psychopaths. Yeah, in a yeah. way, it's kind of it's. Yeah. You can still. You can still watch his stuff. You can still yeah, watch yeah, you're evil, evil, evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think it's harder with. Um, it's the same problem of. Uh, I think it's the same problem of Louis C.K. as well. Whereas you're invited to invest in a persona, and your the inference is clearly that that persona is. You know, there's not the same. That you're invited to invest in this person's persona, and it runs through their body of work. Is it that we know? Because look, maybe I don't know. You know, Bill Cosby was my hero. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Bill Cosby was everything to me. And I actually, you know, devastated by the Bill Cosby news. And I tried, out of sort of curiosity, I tried to watch a bit of the Cosby Show to see, like, can I separate myself from this? Yeah, absolutely couldn't because you're watching. You know, you're watching a monster and then it's like surreal. You're watching a monster pretend to be a nice yeah. family guy. But having said that, you know, Bill Cosby is a very extreme, you know, that, yeah, isn't, yeah. that isn't a man who has behaved slightly inappropriately. That is a yeah, just, yeah. You know, proper dark monster. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know the answer to any of it. But if we were to look at every artist who made anything, most people have probably done some quite bad things as in within a a scale of yeah yeah and so therefore can we never enjoy art unless it's made by someone who who is blemish free well this is the problem so intellectually you say well of course you of course that's not the case Mm. and of course there's loads of work by people who turn out to be troubling but what i'm saying is whilst i intellectually agree with that i have the same thing when you turn like when you watch you watch the cosby show i can't I just can't do it. I just can't separate it. But that may simply be, well, as in, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I I think I agree with you. But it's um, maybe, I'm trying to think of, because someone, I I read an article and it was like, if you look at anything that we've enjoyed in history, literature, anything, almost every single one, particularly if it's written by a man, is made by someone who cheated on their wife, beat their wife, killed someone, you know, it's like, just it's almost like don't ask questions yeah, if yeah. you want to enjoy this yeah but it's one of those things where you sort of but I, I suppose and, the Woody Allen and the Bill Cosby and Louis C.K. we know very yeah. much the detail or at least the and I can't we know the allegations, the allegations. but I can't um I don't think with Cosby we even need, need legally to say allegations because I think he has been found guilty oh, yes, finally. whereas we and and also C.K. has accepted that he did those yeah. things so again it's not even this isn't sort of contentious stuff but um, 
I, I think the thing with Woody Allen, the more you read about it, the more you think, more than anything else, he has this weird thing where he sort of says, I don't understand why everybody's so fascinated by this. And you kind of go, you married your stepdaughter. <laughs> At the very basic mm. thing, you married your stepdaughter. A person whose stock in trade is a comedy predicated on overanalyzing your every yeah, behaviour. Married your stepdaughter and you don't understand why people have questions about that. Yeah. How can you separate? How can you... I don't understand how you come to that point. But yeah, it's just like... It's an, an intellect on an intellectual level. You say on you know well, lots of great art was made by terrible mm. men specifically. Yeah. But then you watch it and you're like, oof, can't do it. It's because you know stuff. I mean, it's you try you, you you know, and I tried out of curiosity to watch a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Post the Dylan Farrell letter, and you just I couldn't do it. Just like, I just couldn't yeah. do it. There was something sort of, you know. And it's one of those things where people would say, well, you should have known about this before. And you kind of go, yeah, yeah, probably should have. I agree. It's almost like don't meet your heroes, isn't it? As soon as you know about the people. Yeah. It's sort of ruined. The the magic is gone. I uh, won't name it. I'm, I have a favourite film and I met the director. And it, I'm not saying he did anything evil. He wasn't. I don't think he's hurt anyone. But he was such a disappointing person <laughs> that I wish I hadn't met him because it's really tainted that film now because I watched that film going, oh, it was made by that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I just think, oh, not that we should bury our heads in the sand, but let's stop asking <laughs> Let's stop asking all the artists what they're up to. But it's just that moment, like like you say with Cosby, it's the exact same thing. It's that yeah. thing where you go, surely we can separate. No, I can't no, separate. No, I really this. can't. And, I feel. Yeah. and that's, what I'm, that's why, particularly with Annie Hall, it's like, because that was my favourite film when I was a teenager. Yeah. And you now look back on it and you go, I can't, I can't, I just can't go back. I can't. It's so fascinating that you can make something, this is what I don't understand, particularly with your Cosby, is that, you know, what Cosby was up to is so fucking dark and evil and horrendous. And yet the work he was creating was so lovely yeah so, yeah and and also full of really good messages and, yeah yeah and you go i don't I'd, I'd i'd love to understand the brain that can do that like whether it was completely manipulative whether it was like yeah, i'll do yeah. this so you don't look or if he meant that as well if there was two parts yeah. to him was i do believe all this stuff and i also like doing these terrible things and i sort of i, I really did agonize about whether i should talk about it because i thought i'll just erase annie hall Mm. But there's no point in doing that. And also, I think, I thought Greta Gerwig handled it really brilliantly recently when she was asked about it. What'd she say? She kind of said, look, I I regret working with him. I also, you know, I have to be honest and say that his work was part of the thing that inspired me to be a mm. filmmaker. But, um, you know, and I, but I now feel very differently about him sort of as a, as a person. And I think there's no point in trying to, if you... If I don't mention Annie Hall, it's literally yeah. only because I'm trying to make myself look good. It's pure. It's like it's just more and just that, vanity for I me. I absolutely think we all should be allowed to grow and yeah, change yeah, yeah, our exactly. minds yeah, and yeah. learn stuff. Yeah. So you're you're allowed to say that on this show. I hope <laughs> that it hasn't upset anyone. Yeah, yeah. Seems like you're being honest and fair. On a more positive note, yeah. What is a film 
the opposite question, really. What is a film that is kind of critically considered? People go, that is a bad film. And you go, I love that film. I don't care what you say. So this is, this is where we get to American Hustle. Moonlight in Paris. <laughs> no, Moon, Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris. <laughs> um, this is where we come to American Hustle. Okay. Because American Hustle, this is an interesting one, because American Hustle is pretty well reviewed. Mm-hmm. And it was nominated for loads of Oscars. But it is the film that I conversationally have to defend most frequently amongst other people who like films. I have no idea why. But for some reason... It, the, yeah, you're right. A lot of people seem to be angry about it. really don't like it. Yeah. And you sort of... I, I, and because of it, because of that, I've seen it about 15 times. Because genuinely... <laughs> Just to check. Yeah. I genuinely have to go back. I have another conversation with somebody... Yeah. Where they say, that's one of the worst films I've ever seen. And you have to go back and go, was I like... I mean, I was in a very good mood when I saw it. Yeah. I saw it at a cinema, which I read an interview with... I think it was Quentin Tarantino who said, American Hustle was one of my favourite films I saw that year. Mm-hmm. And everyone I talked to that didn't like it didn't watch it in a cinema. There, there seems right. to be something. But every time I watch it, I think, this is a great movie. I think it's David O. Russell's best film. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, I think that it's, with the exception of Amy Adams, as discussed, yeah. it's everyone involved's best work. Yeah. As much as, I mean, I love Batman as well, to be fair to Christian Bale. I absolutely love Batman. I think Bradley Cooper's best work is Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, he is very good in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I would, yeah. Well, on screen. Because I, I don't particularly care for Silver Linings Playbook. Nor do I. I really didn't. I don't like that one. I, I didn't. I thought Joy was interesting. I didn't think it all came together, but I thought it was... It's the sort of movie you'd... I'd much rather go and see that than a more conventional, yeah. standard biopic, she invented the mob, she's a millionaire, blah, blah, blah. I, I thought I'd much rather see a slightly abstracted film. Mm. But I think it's a great movie. I think American Hustle is a good... And every other time I watch it, I watch it as a drama, and every other time I watch it, I watch it as a comedy. And that, I think, is a really interesting quality for mm. a film to have, that you... It, it, the genre seems to just change depending on what mood I'm in. That's how I feel about the film Sexy Beast. Sometimes I find it really funny. Sometimes I find it really dark and upsetting. That's a great movie. Great Sexy movie. Beast is a great film. Fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. I, yeah, Sexy Beast is a perfect film. Yeah. But also Sexy Beast is, you know, the bit where he says, do you want the tour done? And he goes, now nah, just have a look around when I go for a piss. Like, that is a joke. That's a joke. Yeah. That is a funny, really good joke. funny line. It's a really good movie. Really good. Some of Ben Kingsley's best work, aside from, oh, of course, far and away is Iron Man 3. Okay, yes. Which is absolutely, I mean... A great twist. A great twist. Some of the biggest laughs I've ever heard in a cinema at Iron Man 3. Also because there's a reference to Croydon in it. Is there? Yeah. I don't remember that. What happened? Guy Pearce says they, find him, they found him doing regional theatre in Croydon. <laughs> Ah. But I I will defend American Hustle. I think I it's really one of the best like movies. Uh, it's one of my favorite films. I right. think it's great. I think it's really funny. It again has that strange relationship with the truth. Where but it cops to the fact that it's not you know an exact version of events that happened with the sort of abscam, the con, and the scandal. It cops to its historical inaccuracy, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a great movie. I'm, I, I'm not sure why, but it does, for some reason, 
seem to irritate people in a very specific way. I think it was to do with the inequality in wages. Well, that's fine. If that's your reason for not liking American Hustle, sign me up. <laughs> okay. Because as much as I enjoy Jeremy Renner, Amy he's Adam, not... Amy Adams got to get paid. Yeah, Amy Adams got to get paid. Okay, this is, I like this question. What is the film that has the most meaning to you? Not necessarily because of the film. The film might be fairly average but because of the experience of watching the film might have been on a first date with someone you love yeah. or something where you go, that film was special because of what happened when you saw that film. I think there's a few movies that have that. I mean, the experience of seeing Grand Budapest Hotel was incredible. Also, a great movie. Go on. But I went to see it in the Electric Cinema in Portobello Road, which sort of looks like the Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> and I went with my girlfriend... And my very dear friend, Ed Gamble, and Lovely. his partner, we, we had a great day and it felt like we were in an immersive uh, movie experience because you looked left and right from the screen and the, it was the Grand Budapest Hotel. But I would say that like, the movie experience that I look back on most fondly, but also is, is, would absolutely be on my favourite films list, was when I saw Monsoon Wedding. Monsoon uh, Wedding is one of my favourite films. And I saw it in Sydney in 2001 where, and I was there for my uncle's wedding and I went to see Monsoon Wedding with my entire family. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was, it's great because Monsoon Wedding is a, is a really brilliant movie set over the weekend in this uh, a big uh, Punjabi family in Delhi and it's there, it's it's sort of, you know, it's the, the guy's daughter is getting married. And um, it's directed by a brilliant filmmaker called Miranaya, who's made a bunch of really incredible, I mean, extraordinary movies in India. And then she's done a couple of things in the in Did she make, States as well. Uh, I've seen, I think I've seen... Salam Bombay? Yes. Is another one that she's done. She's done a few, and she did, a, like, a, I think an adaptation of Vanity Fair, maybe? Oh, Monsoon. yes, that's right. But the Monsoon Wedding, I think, is her absolute masterpiece. And it has this kind of... it's It feels a bit like a Robert Altman movie. You know, you've right. got these big kind of cast of characters and it's shot in this sort of verite way. Like, everything is... It, it sort of feels like a documentary. Like, it's shot really on lots of handheld cameras really brilliantly. But it's like as a sort of evocation of an Indian family. And, I mean, it's not... My family's from a very different part of India, but... And culturally, we're quite different. You know, Punjabi weddings are sort of notorious for being these, like, incredible... When when people think of an Indian wedding, what they mean is a Punjabi wedding. Like, right. a big event, and people arrive on elephants and yeah. stuff. And it's, like, a huge thing for three days. But so what the film What's does is... Your, your, what was the wedding? My family's from Kerala. And right. so our weddings are sort of about an hour and a half. Everyone looks miserable <laughs> and goes home. Like, I think this wedding. We're not notorious. Yeah, sort of. We're not notorious for our... Mainly, people just eat a whole load right. and then kind of go home. But, you really um, want no dancing? A little bit. Well, now they do, because we've right. co-opted traditions from other parts of India, right. because they're, frankly, a lot more fun. But what I was... The film is brilliant, and it's about how all these tensions within this family come to a head over a weekend. It's also a great movie about India that isn't about... that isn't Slumdog, and it isn't mm. about that side of India... Which is, you know, Salam Bombay is like, that's a great movie about that. And, and it does exist and it absolutely is part of India. But it's also occasionally nice to see 
what else is going, you know, not to just have the same story told about India. And it's a fascinating story about where India is culturally, or where, certainly where it was at the turn of the century. And I think it probably still has some contemporary relevance now, where the traditions of India are kind of rubbing up against this encroaching modernity. Mm. And it's, you know, there's a fascinating point. And, you know, one of the characters is a TV producer, and so she kind of is in a studio where people are having this conversation about... And so it, it, it's just a really lovely scene where you see people having the conversation about where is India? You know, we've, yeah. got, we've got thousands of years of culture that we're trying to hold on to whilst modernising. And also the movie is... The language of the film is drifts between Hindi and English constantly and Punjabi. Like, it's just constantly oh. flipping across languages. So where you were seeing it, was it different subtitles? For different... Uh, it was, yeah, it was just English subtitles. Okay. But if you, were, if you were trying to cover it, subtitles for everyone, you would constantly have to have a couple of different languages coming up. Uh, and also the way the family relate to each other, the dad, like, it just was like watching a lot of my family on screen. Who did you sit in between? I can't remember. I think I was sat with my cousins and my parents were sat next to us. But Did you all love it? We all loved it. Oh, we all cool. adored it. And it's what's brilliant about it is it has this kind of Altman sense, but then there is just a big song and dance number. And not because it's like a Bollywood thing, mm. because it's like it's that just happens at weddings. And they have this big dance number right in the middle of it. Um, and it's like, the it's brilliantly acted. The central performance is a guy called Nazruddin Shah, and he, who's a kind of very sort of august, you know... He's not like Amitabh Bachchan, who's like the great icon of Indian cinema. Right. But he's a sort of incredibly respected... He's like India's Robert Duvall. Like, he's like the respected character actor. He was in a movie in the 80s called Masoom, which is about... Which is directed by Shekhar Kapoor before he moved to... And started making movies in the West. Wow. And it's a, it's a great movie about... Uh, it's one of these funny movies where it is like, it is a Bollywood movie, so there are songs in it, but it's about infidelity. It's about a yeah. child turning, basically, this couple have been married for years. This kid turns up on, the, it's basically dumped on their doorstep because the mother died. And it turns out that this man had a one night stand with this woman years previously. And now the child is suddenly in their lives. And it's, a, it's a great movie. But um, yeah, and Monster Wedding's brilliant. And also I always like, there's so much... And there's two things with Bollywood. There's loads of really good Bollywood movies yeah. that are proper, straight-up Bollywood movies. And so I'm always a bit like, because people sometimes can be a bit film fans can be a little dismissive of Bollywood movies, and that you're always like, there are some, there are really brilliant, there are as many really brilliant, massive budget Bollywood movies as there are really brilliant, massive budget Hollywood movies. Yeah. But also, there's a whole other Indian cinema culture. I mean. We, we wouldn't even have time to go into the fact that there's like Malayalam movies and Tamil movies and they're all completely different but even within Hindi movies there's a whole like new wave of young Indian directors who are around at the moment and are making really there's a two part gangster movie called Gangs of Wasaipur which is like an Indian Goodfellas wow. and it is super violent and really brilliant and it's directed by a guy called Anurag Kaisha who then produced a film called The Lunchbox, which I think may still be on UK Netflix. Yeah, it great. is absolutely, it's a great movie. It's just a really, really brilliant film about this guy who kind of, who's at work and he starts getting, he gets the wrong lunchbox delivered to him. And it kind of, it's it's just a great movie about how he starts a kind of correspondence with the woman who sends him the lunchbox. 
It's a great movie. How many of you went to see Monsoon Wedding? How many of the, was it in the cinema? Four, eight. I think maybe ten of us. I love it. Yeah, it was, and it was a great day. We all loved it as well. The whole it. family loved it, and we had a great day. And we were about to go into a family wedding. A wedding. We, like we were, we were there for my uncle's wedding, which happened probably like five or six days later. So I it was the wedding better than the film. The wedding, yeah, the wedding was great. Okay, the wedding was brilliant as well. Yeah, the we- the wedding was great, and we all had a great time. And you know, it was it was really brilliant, and it also sort of gave me this sense of like it was the first time I watched an Indian movie like I, it was around the time I was really getting into films right and when I watched it I remember thinking oh a lot of my assumptions about Indian cinema have been right. way off ah. and there's a whole other world for me to kind of get into that's good but and it's it's just a great movie this next question may not surprise you what is the film you found the sexiest <laughs> please don't say watching one two wedding with your family <laughs> Man, there's nothing more, there's nothing I like more than a family enjoying an experience. I love it so much. Mm. I don't know, I mean, I think if you asked the 13-year-old me, he'd be like, Cruel Intentions, or as I called it at the time, uh, Buffy the movie. <laughs> Buffy does a dribbly kiss. Buffy, do, Buffy does a dribbly kiss. But, like, it's funny watching it now, because that it's also a movie that has sort of dated. Right. The film that I think is like, the, the film I have to sort of, if I have to conjure a sexy movie, mm. is Itu Mama Tambien. Great answer. I mean, that Great movie, days. that movie, <laughs> that film. That is the sexiest film about cancer. Yeah. Ever made. It's, that, it, it's such, it's a movie about someone with a terminal illness. Mm. But holy cow, that is a sexy movie. Yeah. That is a really, really sexy movie. And a fucking great ending. Yeah, really brilliant ending. Really, just a really, I mean, it's a great film. Great film. Yeah, it's a really, it's a very... Would you have sex with someone, with a lady, whilst your friend was also having sex with a lady? I mean, I think if my friend looked like Gael Garcia Bernal, then probably. What about with Ed Gamble? Or Diego Luna. (laughs) You, Ed Gamble. I don't think, I don't think there's... I'm not sure that there's a specific friend that I can think of without without wishing disrespect to any of my male friends, um, all of whom are very attractive men. I I just think I'm just trying to get together a new sort of panel show. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, how close are you? Yeah, how close are you? To your, yeah, <laughs> I mean, in fairness, in terms of the three leads of that show, and with it being two to one to the dudes. Mm. It's pretty representative of British panel shows in terms of the gender makeup. <laughs> but yeah, that movie is just like, it's just pure, just sexy, sexy ladies. Time. Yeah, just really, really sexy, sexy ladies. Really sexy, it's a really sexy Really man. sexy men, really sexy ladies. It's also like one of the few movies that sort of, that's overtly sexual that isn't, that is a, that is, I mean, there's something for everyone on offer. Well, you know, they were, it was made like as a porno. You know, they were given three directors. Those three famous directors were get, like literally given money by, I can't remember who, but like it was almost like a project, like make a sex film. Right, okay. Go yeah. off and make a sex film. And he made that, which is also, he was like, all right, I'll make a fucking brilliant film. Yeah. It's also deep and beautiful and profound. It's also the sexiest film by someone who then went on to direct a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> yeah. It's nearly as sexy as Harry Potter and the Goblin. Right? <laughs> no, he did. He did Prisoner of Azkaban. Azkaban. Yeah, yeah. 
everyone's favourite. What? So a, sexy. Yeah. <laughs> what? A, like what a varied CV. Yeah. Gravity. That's him. Yeah. Each of our champion and and children of men. Children which is one of the men. fucking great movies ever. What a great movie. Yep. That is such a good film. Such a good film. Yeah. There's the scene in that, in the car, one shot. Unbelievable. They did it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How do you do it? Yeah, I have no idea. You? I know you're sexy, but how do you do it? You know, when with Birdman, you go, oh, I see the, yeah. I see how they put that together. That one. That one. Nah. Absolutely incredible. Mostly because the bit where they spit a ping pong ball into each other's mouths. That's yeah. the most impressive <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, that's definitely the how most do you impressive do it? bit. CGI. But anyway, that movie is like, I think it opens with Gal Garcia Bernal having sex with his girlfriend. Like, it, yeah. that movie is like, here you go. Here you go. It's straight in. Mm. Everybody in it is hot. Absolutely like ideal. So Betty Blue, the opening of Betty Blue. Yeah. Hey, Calamba. <laughs> okay, so I think you might have answered this, but which film is the film you most related to? I think it might be Inside Louis. Louis yeah. Louis. Is that the answer to that? Is that well, the film you've most related to, or that you've watched and you've gone, "That's me"? You've said two answers that could be that Inside Louis. Llewellyn Davis and Spider-Man Homecoming. But yeah, Spider-Man is there anything Homecoming. Else? I, Spider-Man Homecoming is what I was saying was that I've just seen. I've, I'm only coming to a lot of these kind of movies in a sort of you know much later period, but and so re, like and a lot of them when you watch them you kind of sort of rewatch them you kind of go yeah I suppose my school's a bit like that but I went to a grammar school so it's like it's a free school but everyone in it's a nerd. And so when I watched Spider-Man Homecoming, I was like, that's exactly what my secondary school was like. Right. Everybody was like, the genius of casting. Is it Tony, how do you pronounce his name? Is it Rivalori? I might have... It's Tony Stark. It's Tony Stark. It's Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> the genius of casting Tony Stark in that movie. The lobby boy from Grand Budapest Hotel. The genius of casting okay. him as Flash, yeah. who's like the bully. Like that, as soon as you see him, you go, this is great. Because they've just made it the nerd school. And that, yeah, I definitely watched Spider-Man and I was like, that is kind of what my friends and I were like. Mm. We were all a bit like that. We were all super nerdy. And, you know, we, we sort of all have like those sort of concerns. And so it is, there is sort of an element of watching that and just thinking, oh yeah, that is, that kind of is. My, but the film that I'm most related to, like in a sort of visceral way, and I didn't enjoy it, mm. is... Uh, before Sunrise. Oh. You related to... I watched those characters and I was like, I'm exactly those two people. I'm exactly as pretentious I'm exactly as, as pretentious as those two. <laughs> I'm exact, And I watched it and I didn't enjoy it. And I still don't enjoy that movie because I watch it and it's too close to home. It's too close to home. Yeah. It's too close to home. I, the second film is one of my favourite films of all time. Agree. The third film... The third film is amazing, but it's actually quite a tough it's watch. Harrowing. Yeah. <laughs> It's harrowing. It is. The second film is one of my favourite films of all time. The second film is one of my favourite endings of all time. Yeah, it's one of the... Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely one of the great endings. Yeah. The third movie's also amazing. I mean, it's pound for pound. Either Toy Story or The Befores yeah. are the, is the two greatest film... The two greatest narrative film trilogies. Because people always try and bring Three Colours up. That is a thematic trilogy, yeah. not a narrative trilogy. You know, congratulations <laughs> to Christoph, but... Um, but yeah, in terms of narrative trilogies, the before movies are incredible. Yeah. But I, 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 it's the only time I've ever had that experience. I was watching it and I was like, oh, these people are the yeah. worst. And then you're like, 
why am I getting so irritated by it? And you go, because it's me. Yeah. These, these people are me it's and my friends. And I, you've got it. Yeah. Like the early, tw- your, your early twenties, mm. they, and you know, this, you can't fake that. That's, yeah. they were those people and they were living that reality mm. and they just put it on screen. The second movie is, I mean, is such a brilliant film. Yeah. You, and the thing is, you can watch the second movie on its own. On its own. You don't have to suffer through the first one. You don't have to suffer through the first one like me. And you don't have to watch the two halves of my brain (laughs) discussing things with each other. But the second movie and like, you you know, I don't even know why I went to watch the second film. (laughs) But I went to watch the second film and like... Did you think I've got better as a person? Yeah, I think I watched it again. Well, I watched it again and I was still a bit younger. Now I'm the age of the second movie. And I watch it now, and I think, yeah, I've, I've, I was that those mm. people in my twenties. I'm, I'm those people in my thirties now. You know, where you're like, like some of the ethical debates that they're having. You yeah. know, it's like, it's just a great movie. It's just such a, yeah. I he seems a wonderfully lovely man, Richard Linklater. Well, I mean, he he's one of the. I don't want to ask questions. But I don't want to learn yeah, anything no. about him. Because... But you're, we're 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 really he's he's made some of the great. Moves of the last twenty films. years. Yeah, I mean, Boyhood is Boyhood would be up there for me. I thought. Yeah. I mean, I also just think like I felt bad, f- not because f- I, you know, with the Oscars, you sort of you can't feel bad if things don't win because there aren't. It's it's a subjective decision. There isn't like an objective list of criteria that you can have for awards for art. Mm. But at the same time. There probably should be if you make a film over a period of time. Yeah, wasn't it? Maybe it was up against Twelve Years a Slave, and you go, "I know this was Twelve Years a Slave, but it only took you a year." Yeah, yeah. Boyhood took twelve no, it, years. It, was, it wasn't. It was. It was Birdman. That oh, beat, okay. Birdman beat it out, and in the, all the sort of technical, and it, and you kind of go, "I get it," mm. but come on, yeah. <laughs> think about how long he made the. I thought because I think he. Should, I thought they would win something like at least the screenplay award for the third before movie because again you go that's just a feat of mm. and there was part of me that was like maybe they should have given him you know they just gave Toy Story a special Oscar yeah. when it first came out it was and I I thought before you even get into the fact that I think Boyhood is an absolute masterpiece you should have given it an award the Boyhood just, Award yeah for boyhood. the Boyhood Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Boyhood of Boyhood <laughs> <laughs> okay so this one what is the film you objectively think is the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favourite, but like if Aliens came and they said, "Come on, guys, what is the greatest film? What's the highest I achievement think of film?" That if you had to explain to someone what cinema is mm-hmm. and what it can achieve on every level, I think you, and also what a film that can that is universally beloved. I think you have to say The Godfather. I think of a film that's, it's one of those, it's one of, it's like the only movie that always pops up on the critics' polls and the audience polls of the Mm. best films of all time. That's true. But I think when you actually examine it as a film, the script is fantastic and tells a really brilliant story. Also, it doesn't tell it in a conventional way. What you forget when you rewatch it is the first 40 minutes is just a wedding, you know, and it, the it's full of incredibly quotable lines, you know, the mm. leave the gun, take the cannoli, like all, you know, I'll make an offer. You know, an offer he can't refuse 
it's has seeped into our language yeah. so much that it's like on a level with something like Catch Twenty Two, you know, where it's it's just a phrase that we're all completely capable of deploying. But also, I think in terms of the way that it's shot, Gordon Willis as an artist of light, yeah, the way the images and the composition of them is just an extraordinary example of what the medium of cinema is capable of. And, you know, on the level of the sound engineering, the scene with... Because it's Walter Merck who then went on to do Apocalypse Now, which is a more obviously technically flashy film. Yeah. But I think the scene where Al Pacino is about to kill Solazzo and the, the the thing that they did was they added so in the scene he's doing all he's and it's a phenomenal piece of dialogue free performance from Pacino and what they decided to do in the uh, when they were doing the sound edit was add the sound of the train mm. and the, the sound of the train is the sort of propulsion of his mind moving him towards murder and it's to to me, it's just that's complete cinema. Yeah, you know the the visuals are extraordinary, the sound is incredible and serves the plot and the character and the performance is unforgettable. And I think if you stack everything up, I think in the same way that people all can make the case for Citizen Kane because again it's technically so brilliant. I think you can. I think I would have to make the case for The Godfather. You know, and also it's a brilliantly it's a brilliant story about what America is. You know, the opening line is, I believe, in America. And it's a brilliant story about criminality and also about immigration. And it's, you know, and it's it's a great movie about the immigrant dream. That last, one of the last conversations you see Brando having with Pacino is a really, if you have an immigrant family, you relate to that sequence so hard. The way that he talks about how he wanted his son to be the puppet master and, you know, Senator Corleone and the ambition that the immigrant father has Mm. for his child is so beautifully depicted in that, in that one sequence. And it's a great movie about family and in places it's very funny. And again, as an indelible image, the door closing on Diane Keaton is just extraordinary. And the second movie is great. And it's one of the greatest movies of all time. But I would still say the first, because everything that's in the second movie is also in the first, is already yeah, in the yeah. first movie. That is a very acceptable, uh, correct answer. <laughs> what is, <laughs> but it, what is the film that you could watch the most over and over again or have watched the most? Again, I think you might have answered this with uh, Pinocchio and the Jungle Book. I reckon if you did the numbers, it would be one of those movies. I don't think that there's a... But if I said to you now, you've got to watch a film five times this week. Well, I'll tell you what I did. There's a couple of movies that I've just that I just can't not watch when they start. I think Goodfellas yeah. might be the best movie of all time. Yeah. Because have you ever tried to not watch Goodfellas? Yeah. <laughs> this is me watching Goodfellas with someone who hasn't watched Goodfellas. Yeah. If it's in the middle of it, I go, Oh wait, this is the best scene. Yeah. <laughs> Next scene. Oh wait, this is the yeah. best scene. Okay, we'll just watch this scene. This is the best scene. For two hours. One of the hardest things in cinema is to not watch Goodfellas. Yeah. When it's, yeah. If it's on, I'm watching the whole thing. Yeah. And it's three and a Good half luck, hours. Good luck, mate, not watching Goodfellas. Good luck not watching Goodfellas. There's, there's a couple of movies like that. I have this thing with The the Insider. Oh, really? Is that with the Michael Mann movie? Yeah. I, I, must, I must have seen that. He'll watch times. it. Yeah. Russell Crowe aged up. Russell Crowe aged up. Heat. 
again, continuing the Michael Mann theme, Heat's another one where you're like, oh, but then there's the other bit. Because <laughs> um, your, your suggestion is School, School of Rock. Rock. Yeah. Another eminently rewatchable film. Perfect. School of Rock's perfect. That perfect. you sort of can't, you yeah. never get tired of. I would probably say, I mean, it's maybe good, fellas. City of God's another one. I mean, City of God's oh, one of my favourite movies. Film. But and it's another one where you're like, oh, I've got to see the next bit. I've got to watch the next bit. What do you think is the, the funniest film ever? You're only allowed one here. It's, that is so hard. I know. The recent movie that I think, the most recent comedy that I think is unbelievably hilarious is Spy, the Melissa McCarthy movie. Really? I've watched it about seven or eight times. It's just one of those great movies where you just, not, you're not a fan. I think it's good. I I wouldn't have it in my. I top think it's spot. I think it's incredible because it's it's also she gets to do both. She's most. Comedic, I love it. Most comedic film performers have the thing that they do. Mm-hmm. You know the character that they do. She has two, yeah. and they're both amazing. So it's like she can either be Suki from the Gilmore Girls, yeah, or she can be the cop from the Heat. And in Spy, she gets to do both. And that's why it's my favourite Melissa McCarthy movie, because uh, it's like a greatest hits package of Melissa McCarthy. Lovely. I think in terms of, I love A Mighty Wind. Oh yeah, good film. And obviously Spinal Tap, Tap is just, yeah. probably if someone was like, It's probably Spinal Tap, isn't it? probably Spinal Tap. Yeah. Just in terms of... Gun to head. It's gun to head, Tap. it's Spinal Tap. <laughs> because it's... Laughs per second. It's all hilarious. The and it's bit, the beautifully realised. Also, it's like there's all the famous bits. Yeah, and um, I think one of the funniest lines in any film bit is too when... much fucking perspective. <laughs> is that it? That's my favourite line. It's like really gives you a sense of perspective. Yeah, to be honest, it's a bit too much fucking perspective. It's a bit too much fucking perspective. <laughs> a bit too much fucking perspective. It's like that's the sort of if you're like a comedic writer, that is like. That's like as funny as it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> but whenever anyone asks me about this, I also ha- have to mention Borat just oh, yeah, as a okay. cinematic experience because I saw that in a completely sold out cinema and it's the closest experience I've ever had to watching a live gig, a stand-up gig. Yeah. Like as in people were losing their minds laughing. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's... But yeah, I mean, there's a couple of the Bill Murray movies that are just... that are really great. Um, but I think spine, it has to be Spinal Tap. Yeah, it does. Also, because it's like... That was the answer. Yeah. It's correct. <laughs> Don't like to be negative. Quick yeah. negative. What's your worst film of all time? The Invention of Lying. The Invention of Lying. Yeah. My least favourite film ever. Go on. I've seen worse films. Well, have I? <laughs> I've seen movies that are objectively, like, more shambolically put together. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched a movie called Drive with Dean Cain, which I... Yeah. Was, like, easily a worse put-together movie than... The reason I don't like The Invention of Lying is because it's the only movie I've seen mm. where, in minute one, I went, this doesn't work at all. So, they set up the idea that no one can lie, mm-hmm. right? He knocks on the door, Jennifer Garner opens it, yeah. and says, sorry, I was masturbating. That is not a lie. Yeah. That's... Yeah. He didn't say, what, what He didn't say, doing? what were you doing? That, he's living in a world where no one has an internal monologue. <laughs> That's not, and so it's, it's just, I've never watched a movie where like a minute in you go, this whole thing doesn't work. 
This whole thing doesn't make any sense. I have an argument for why the invention of lying is uh, misunderstood. The of all time. Uh, is that I think the sort of message, the th- message theme, something of the invention of lying, which I think was missed, yeah. or maybe I'm wrong, no one said yeah, this, yeah. is that, you know, he says to um, Jennifer Garner, she says, like, why do you like me at some point? Yeah. And he says, because you're kind and you're sweet and you're good and you care about people and you're something. Now, that is a lie because she hasn't been any of those things. Yeah, yeah. But because he lives in a world where everyone believes everything, because he tells her it, it then becomes true. Right, okay, She yeah, starts yeah. being a good person because yeah. he believes, he tells her something that, that she then believes. Yeah. So I think the message is be nice about people right, and they'll okay. be nice. But I, I don't know if that's... I did not get that. I couldn't move past... It was one of those things where you're like, minute one... Minute one. I cannot, I can't, I've never seen a movie where I've just been like, I'm it's more, I'm out it's it. more the invention of manners. <laughs> it's the invention of manners. It should be called the invention of manners. Yeah. I, th- I think maybe it's, you feel worse about it because you kind of go, if a movie stars Dean Kane, I'm with the best will in the world, not expecting it to be a masterpiece. But you certainly, and certainly at the time, everyone was excited to see what Ricky mm. Gervais would do movie wise. And it just felt like, at Cemetery Junction, I actually I thought it was likable. Yeah, lovely, and it was sweet. But the this movie, it was like from minute one, I was like, I've never watched a movie like this. Where I was like, F- the fundamental premise is nonsense. <laughs> like you've you've you, you've violated your own internal logic in minute one. The invention of manners. We've got to remake it. Yeah, we. I would happily do a remake of the invention of lying. <laughs> I would like to. There's, like, there's a line in Parks and Rec where he says something like, where Chris Pratt's character says, his, like, one of his ambitions in life is to remake the movie Shazam and get it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> the final question is, what's your favourite film? What's my favourite film? Yeah. Okay, well, if Good. I say Goodfellas is the movie that I would rewatch, mm-hmm. then I'll make City of God my favourite film. Lovely. Because um, it's uh, it's a really interesting mixture of this kind of hyperkinetic matrix shooting style that also has real soul and heart and it's funny and moving and brutal and, yeah. it, uh, it, you know, tracking that group of characters over. I've realised one of the things that I love in a film is when you track a group a group of characters over a long period of time. Because if you look at City of God... Zodiac and Goodfellas, which are three of my all-time favourite movies. And Before Trilogy. And the Before Trilogy. And Boyhood. And Boyhood. I love... You love people getting old. Yeah, I love people getting old. I love love something that has, like, the sweep of it and it's Mm. plausible. And, again, it's, like, um, it's it's such a watchable film as well. Yeah, it's a a really, really... It's a great movie. Nish Kumar, all of your answers have been excellent. And... um, I very much enjoyed uh, discussing more with you. However, we found when you got hit by that car whilst yeah. listening to a, a political podcast and saying something about Brexit, yeah. the car sort of actually quite squashed you. And when we yeah. tried to get you in the coffin, you've taken up a lot more room than we planned. Yeah. And there's only room for one of these films in the coffin with you. All the films we talk about are going to take one to the other side. Yeah. And on the other side, there'll obviously be film night. You've got to show your film. Yeah. What's the one film you're taking with you? I'm going to go Monsoon Wedding Lovely. because I don't think anyone else would have brought it and I think it would be a real shame if we couldn't get through a movie night without Monsoon Wedding.
That is the sound of the people of heaven giving us that ovation. Well, and it's also like well, I've, there's so many movies that I haven't been. Able, I can't believe someone else is bringing good fellas. Someone else is bringing good. Yeah, fellas. you're fine. I can't believe that we've not mentioned Gross Point Blank or um, any of the various Jack Nicholson movies that I love. No, we haven't. Or that any like I feel like the '70s movies have been like very lightly touched on, but yeah, it's almost yeah. like you hate Jack Nicholson and Gross Point Blank. <laughs> I guess you wanted that out in the world. Nish Kumar of the Nish Report, uh, you've been a wonderful guest. I'm going to let you go to heaven with Monsoon Wedding and all your stories. I hope you have a lovely afterlife. And uh, if there's anything you'd like to say to the people at home, such as, I really do like Jack Nicholson. I go. cannot emphasise enough how much I love Jack Nicholson. Also, who will finance me and Brett to remake The Invention of Lying and get it right this the time? Invention of man- and the Invention of Manners. <laughs> Thank you. You've been brilliant. Thank you. Good luck on the other side. Good night and good luck. That's That's a great movie. (laughs) So that was episode three. I very much hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Nish for coming on. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. To Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the artwork. Please come back next week for more films to be buried with where I'll be talking to the big man himself, Mr Scroobius Pip. If you're coming to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, please buy tickets to see my show, What Is Love, Baby Don't Hurt Me. You can get them on edfringe.com and if you come along, oh, we'll have a right old time. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and like and do all those sort of admin things that you have to do in your daily life just whenever you like something. Anyway, I do really, really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And that is it for now. I hope I will see you next week. And in the meantime, please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.